The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, Money Matters. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Today's reading will be from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. First, hear the word of the Lord from Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now the word of the Lord from Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome. My name is Justin. I am one of the pastors at Sacred City as well. It is a full morning today. Um, I do have, I promise our members that I'd give a, a budget update once a month. And so this is that budget update. Our Budget is basically about $42,000 per month. This past month, taking out, we had a large one-time donation. We also had the Healthy Soul registration. Um, We brought in, taking those out, we brought in about $53,000. And so $11,000 over budget, praise God. We are on our way to bringing in at least one pastoral resident. Um, Could be up to three pastoral residents uh, to train for ministry Hopefully, we're still looking for that potential church planter to bring in. And then the last thing I needed to say before we, I pray and we jump into it this morning is um, this week, obviously, Good Friday and Easter. You can look around here, and there's not too many seats available. And we have over 100 kids down in our cottage right now, okay? During cottages, by the way. Uh, Good Friday, there's only a few of our kids will be down there. And so there's going to be very little seating here, Good Friday. And it's, it's very dark. So get here early and steal all the seats, okay? If you're bringing people, you know, you got to bring six coats that night and just lay them on all, the, on all the chairs. But for real, get here early on Friday night. Um, this is our last year. We're probably ever going to do one Good Friday service. It's going to be packed. And, um, and, so, and then on Easter, same thing. Be hospitable with where you park. When we get here, we're going to have to usher people to sit in the middle and, and out. We're going to have to sit up extra chairs. Um, it's going to be um, probably standing room only next week, okay? Still, invite your friends. I've got a couple people that I've been on mission to that I'm looking forward to. They've committed to coming on Eastern. So um, use this as an opportunity to reach out to those friends, and let's be ready for a great weekend next week. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm going to jump into our... Uh, text this morning. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the life in this church, that the life that's going on down in the cottages, the life that's going on in the families, the spiritual life that's moving um, in our congregation is a direct result of your blessing, that you are doing it. Jesus, you said you would build your church, and you have been doing that, and you've been faithful to us. And so I thank you for what's going on here, what's going on over in Moline, Uh, In Sacred City Moline, it is a gift from you. And now, Father, as we kind of settle our minds and settle our hearts, um, I ask that you would 
um, speak through me this morning, that your word um, would be illuminated, that, it, that your word would be the truth that we stand on, um, and that you would convict our hearts, and that you would convince us to change directions um, so that we could uh, walk in a way that we were created to walk, that we could really flourish as humans um, in this city and in our relationship with you. So would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords this morning, Father, would it be all of you and none of me. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, today we are going to finish our series called Money Matters by talking about one of the most misunderstood topics in the Bible, and that is the concept of tithing. Um, if you've been around the church for very long, there's no doubt you've heard this word. You've heard of the tithe or you've heard of tithing. But if you're new, if you're new to the church, this might be totally new to you. Um, so we're going to answer the, a few questions. First off, what is, tithe? what is the tithe? What is tithing? Well, the word tithe means a tenth part, okay? 10%. Leviticus 27.30 from the Old Testament says this. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy. That means it's to be set apart. That's what holy means. Set apart to the Lord. So tithing is the biblical concept of giving 10% of all your income and all your increase back to the Lord from whom it came. Now, this practice was commanded by God. It was put into law by God when, you know, when God gave the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses. But before it was codified in the law, it was actually practiced. Hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments were passed down. In Genesis 14, hundreds of years before the law was given on Mount Sinai, Abraham tithed. Later on in Genesis 28, Jacob also gives 10% of his increase back to God. Now, Many people, when I talk to, they think that tithing is just another word for giving money to the church. I've even heard people say that they tithe to their neighbor. <laughs> All right? Tithing and giving are not synonymous. So let me, let me say this. You can't tithe $50 if you make more than $500. Right? You can give $50, you can donate $50, you can be generous with $50, but that amount is not a tithe. Tithe literally means 10%. The only way to tithe is to give... Hey, you're with me. All right. You're with me. You're with me. 10%. Right? And there's something else that's special about the tithe. It wasn't meant to be any 10%. Rather, it was to be the first 10% of a person's income or produce. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. See, the people of God were to give the very first of all their produce. The first 10%. Now listen, before paying themselves, before paying their creditors, before, before paying uh, you know, any, other, any of their bills, they were to pay God. 
Tithing wasn't something to be done haphazardly at the end of the month after all the other obligations and wants were met. It was to be done as soon as they brought in their income. So think about this. Harvest time, they would go out and the first batchels that they brought in, right? What are you wanting to do with that first, that first fruits? You're wanting to eat it. You're wanting to test it. You're wanting to find out, is it good? What's the rest of the harvest going to be like? But no, no, no. You're supposed to take that first 10% and you are bringing it to the temple and you are presenting it to God. And you're saying, God, I'm giving you this first 10% and I trust you with the other 90% that's still out in the field. I'm trusting that there's not going to be a tornado or a rains or floods or drought that's going to ruin the rest. I'm honoring you with the first 10% and I'm trusting you with the last 90. Now, that really helps move us along on this conversation of tithing and it starts to kind of answer the question for us. Okay, we know what tithing is. It's giving the first 10% of all of our income, all of our increase back to God. But the question remains, why tithe? What's the why behind it, right? What's, what, 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 is, what is God after when he asks for 10% of our income? Well, I've got at least three answers to that question, three reasons um, why we are to tithe. And the first one is laid out really clearly in Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23. And it says this, God speaking through Moses, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes in from the field year by year so that you may learn to fear your God or the Lord your God always. So God tells his people, one of the reasons that we are to tithe the first 10% is it helps them, tithing helps you fear the Lord. Now, that word, we don't use fear in that kind of context, that way uh, anymore. It doesn't mean to be afraid of God and to be you know, scared of him. If we don't give our 10%, he's gonna wipe out the, the remaining 90% or something like that. To fear means to honor above all else, to hold him in awe and reverence, to worship him. It's to worship him alone as God. So the first thing that tithing is intended to do is to train God's people to put God first in their life. Now, you could ask, you, people ask me all the time, how do I think about God more? I wake up in the morning, I don't even think about God. I just think about my day and my commitments and the things that I've got to do that day, that week, that month. Well, how do you become more aware of God in your daily life? You start by honoring God with your wealth, honoring God with the first 10% of everything he brings into your life. You put him first in your budget and it will train you to fear him in the rest of your life. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with a person who is struggling to put God first in their life. I ask, first I listen, okay, I hear, I understand, it's really hard. I know the world, the pressure, all the stuff that's going on. I ask, do you tithe? They say, no, I don't. But, 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 I, 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 I'm a, I consider myself a generous person. I buy people's coffee occasionally, usually when I'm on a date, but I mean, <laughs> I do things like that, right? I, 
Uh, I give a little bit when I have extra. And then I usually probe. How much and how often is that? And we get down to the brass tacks of almost never. I kind of think of myself as a generous person. I want to be a generous person. But honestly, I don't ever give. I don't ever give back to God or give to the church. Now, I usually ask why, right? And it usually gets down to something like this. When you try to wait to the end of the month to honor God, you almost never will. Your money will already be spent on your own wishes and your own desires, and there won't be any left for him. That's why you have to start with God. You have to give to God first. Now, in previous sermons, we've already talked about how we are constantly upgrading everything from our toothbrushes to our vehicles to our clothes. So anytime we get a raise, we've already upgraded our standard of living to, 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 the, to max out all of our, our income level. And so we've already trained ourselves that there will never, ever be extra at the end of the month right? And even if there is, we've always got that financial counselor in the back of our mind saying, you need to save for more for retirement, right? So even if we did get a bump, he's wanting it too, right? He's trying to convince you to, to save it. Well, so here's the reality. We know we wait till the end of the month, it's not going to be there. So when somebody says, you need to tithe, you need to put God first and give the first fruits, we've got a logic problem and we've got an emotional problem. Okay, here's the logic. I've been living, or you, we have been living off of 100% of our income, and we feel like we're barely getting by. We are still living paycheck to paycheck. We're still looking at our watch and going, okay, uh, two days to payday, right? We're still like, how much groceries can we spend right now by the time we get to the end of the month? right? So we've been living on 100%. And so the logic is, if I got, give to God my first 10%, by the end of the month, I'm going to be overdrawn. There's going to be bills that I can't pay. There's, I won't be able to make that last trip to the grocery store, right? There's no, in our mind, there's no way we can live on 90%. And then, that's the logic, and then we have an emotional response to that logic. What's our emotional response? We get anxious and afraid that we won't have enough to pay our bills. We get anxious and afraid that we won't have enough for the mortgage or the car payment or the phone bill because we've been living off 100%. How in the world could we live off 90%? Well, guess what? That is the type of emotional response you're supposed to have. See, tithing is meant to provoke a little fear in our heart, especially when we first begin to do it. We're meant to look and go, there's no way this is possible. I can't believe people actually do this. That's crazy. We're at the beginning, at the front side of it, we should have that kind of emotional response. Tithing isn't supposed to make sense financially. That's why it's meant to take faith, trust in God. And that leads us to the second reason people were commanded to tithe. Tithing is an invitation from God to test his promise to provide for our needs. 
See, tithing is meant to actually build our trust in God as we watch him provide for our needs over and over and over again. Listen to what God says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe, again, not 3%, not 5%, not 7.5%, right? Bring the full tithe, 10%, into the storehouse. That's literally the, the church. It's the temple. They would bring the tithes in, the the tithes provided for the worship, the tithes provided for the Levitical priesthood. They would store that money in the, uh, in the storehouse to be able to provide for the poor and such. Listen, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he, you can provide for the worshiping community. And look, thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, do you see what God is saying here? It's very interesting. Um, when you read about testing God in scriptures, this is the only place in all of the Bible where God says, test me. Every other time God's talking about testing me, he's frustrated, he's angry. He's like, you're testing me in the wilderness. You're not trusting me. You're frustrating me. Your lack of faith is concerning to me, right? But this is the only place in the scriptures where God commands his people, test me, try me, put me first in your giving and watch me provide for you. If you can have faith, if you can trust me first, then you get to stand back and watch me meet your needs in supernatural ways. Now, it doesn't make sense, but I've, I've been doing it since I was 18 years old or 17 years old, and I've watched God supernaturally provide for me over and over and over, and I've been in missional communities and relationship with people, and I've seen supernatural provision over and over and over. As you put God first, this scripture says he's testing us, and it's training us to put more and more trust in God. When we give our first 10% to God, that is an act of faith. And it's an opportunity for us to grow in our ability to trust God as we, as we watch him meet our needs the rest of the month. Okay? So, a couple different reasons to tithe, right? It belongs, it, it belongs to God. It helps us build our trust in God. It helps us fear and honor God. And the third way is tithing is meant to be a duty that becomes a delight. It's meant to be a duty that transforms into a delight. First, tithing is meant to be a duty. The, the first two scriptures of that section of scripture, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, uh, I doubt you have this on a coffee cup. Um, more than likely, this is not your positive confession taped to your mirror in the morning. Do you look at yourself and say, right, gosh darn it, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. And then you say, will man rob God? <laughs> yeah, you're robbing me, but you say, how have I robbed you? I don't remember robbing no bank. I haven't robbed anybody. 
And God says, in your tithes, tithes, I'll clarify that, and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's talking to Israel. Now, tithing is meant to be a duty that transforms into a delight. Now, here it is. The tithe, here's a quote from Randy Alcorn. The tithe was recognized as God's, period. Hence, people didn't give a tithe, but repaid it to the owner of all things. Think of the tithe as your lease agreement to breathe God's air. Right? If Lease agreement, if you're a farmer and, you, and you're leasing the land from the farmer, you don't get to keep 100% of the produce. No, no. Whatever's produced, you give a large percentage back to the owner of the land. The tithe is your lease to walk God's green earth and produce anything of value. These payments were no more optional than paying taxes today. An Israelite paid tithes and first fruits out of obedience, whether or not he wanted to. So the first thing I want you to see, and this is kind of tough. I had somebody come up and ask me last night, oh, we're teaching our kids to tithe. Obviously it's hard. They don't really want to. You talked about last week how giving is supposed to, you know, it's supposed to come from a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver, somebody who wants to give. My kids aren't cheerful givers. What should I do? Here's your answer. Tithes is a duty before it's a delight. It doesn't matter how you really feel about it at first, right? And we could go on a lot of, lot of different, we could talk about working out. We could talk about being vig, uh, vigilant or wise in our finances, in our, in, in our marriage. And in some sense, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. You have to do the right thing no matter what, okay? So it's meant to be a duty first. God says here, by giving less than 10% that God's people were robbing him, reaching in his pocket and stealing. That 10% was to go directly to God's house to provide for their spiritual leadership. Right? I'm not going to get into all of that this morning, but now here's something that's interesting. We think, oh man, the tithe, that is such an exorbitant amount. But do you see how he said, you've robbed me in the tithes and offerings, or and contributions. The Israelites didn't have one tithe. They had three. The first was to go to the Levitical priesthood. It was literally what Malachi, he's talking about there in Malachi, bring into the storehouse so, so that you, he could pay the priests and they could have food to meet other needs and such. The second tithe provided for a yearly sacred festival that they would give a tithe to it and it would store up and they could have literally like a, a sacred party to honor and worship God, okay? And then the third tithe was taken every third year and that tithe was set aside for specifically for the poor, okay? And then on top, so then what you, when, because everyone, when they were tithing and doing this correctly, Basically, that equates to every Israelite giving 23% of their yearly increase back to God. Okay? That's what it looked like to be an Israelite, to honor God with your wealth, is 23% going back 
to the Lord. That's what they were. And then on top of that was the free will offerings. Uh, Sometimes when they wanted to build the temple, you know, they took, David took an offering and people were giving so much. He's like, stop, stop. We've got enough. So 23% was like the bottom of the barrel there in the Old Testament. See, then here's what I'm, I want to kind of get to this morning. Giving that first 10% to God was meant to be the training wheels of giving. It was a duty that was meant to become a delight. Think about it. We are the richest people in the history of the world. Honestly, giving away 10% of our wealth really isn't that generous when you think about it. The 90% we have left over still puts us in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. Tithing is giving away a, really a little portion of your income, right? It's like riding a bike with training wheels. First off, it's not very fun, right? It's not very fun. I've got four kids. All of them has had a, a time on the training wheel, so there's no going for a family bike ride with the kid on training wheels. Oh, come on, buddy. Keep it up. Keep it up. Right? But what's it do? See, it's, here's the deal. It minimizes risk. Right? Putting the training wheels on minimizes risk. It's meant to teach them how to balance can I say how to live within their means? Teaches them how to use momentum. Teaches them how to keep weight over the tires, keep speed going. But here's the deal. But as you learn to ride a bike, what happens? The training wheels come off and now you're in, now you're in it. Now you can, you know, now you can ramp the curbs, right? Now you can have dad build you a little ramp. Now you can do laps around the neighborhood. Right? Now you can learn how to take your hands off and it really does something, right? Here it is. The delight of riding a bike only comes after the training wheels come off. Honestly, it's kind of the same thing with giving. Get, tithing is meant to be a duty that leads us to a delight. As we tithe, we are learning to be generous and we are learning how to live on 90% as we put God first. We're learning to live sacrificially. We're learning to live um, humbly. We're, we're, we're being conservative with our resources. That is the training wheels of giving. But as we grow and mature and we, consider, we, we trust God with our finances and we watch him meet our needs over and over again. We are meant to grow into a more generous person. That's the training wheels come off and now I don't even need the tithe necessarily. I can give 15%, I can give 20, I can give 25. Why? Because tithing is not meant to be the penthouse of giving, it's the ground floor. It's our starting place as we grow into truly generous givers. And I'll tell you, if you, as you grow in your generosity, you will get the attention of outsiders. That person is really generous. They are really hospitable. They open up their home, right? They're here of a need. They're quick to meet that need. 
Here's another perspective. When you rob God of his tithe, you're also robbing yourself of the opportunity to grow in faith. When you say, I'm going to wait to the end of the month to see if I have any left over, what you're saying is, I'm going to trust myself all month long, and then the last couple days, I'm going to see if God was faithful or not. If there's no extra, well, he, he, he wasn't faithful. I, you could turn that around, right? And you could say, I, you're robbing God all month long, and then you're expecting him to do something special for you at the end. That would be reinforcing your own faith in yourself. Rather than the paycheck comes in, my first 10% goes to God, I'm trusting him with the rest. God, you said test me, I'm testing you. When you rob God of his tithe, you're also robbing yourself of the opportunity to grow in faith. And you'll never know the delight of being a generous giver. Someone not controlled by always wanting more, always maxing out the credit card, always maxing out whatever income or whatever, yeah, whatever income level you've reached, spending it all. There's a freedom and a joy and a true delight when you've learned how to be a generous person and live on less than 90% of what you're bringing in. Now, as I bring it, bring it down, I want to unpack some common misconceptions, common questions, common kind of defeater beliefs that people bring to me all the time. They say this, tithing, Justin, is an Old Testament concept and we aren't under the law anymore. Praise God, we're under grace. Well, first off, let me say yes, but I don't think that means what you think it means. Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus or anyone else remove the biblical command to tithe. In fact, Jesus affirms it in Matthew 23, 23, where he says to the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for look, you tithe, mint, dill, cumin. Do you see what he's saying there? Not only would they tithe on their increase, they'd tithe on their garden they have out back. They were that scrupulous. And look, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, right? He's condemning them for tithing and yet being, not being kind and generous and welcoming to the outsider and, and, and all of these other things. Now look what Jesus says. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, good, you should tithe like that. That's good. But you should also not neglect the more important things, which is being kind, being welcoming, being generous to the outsider, right? Justice and all those other things. Jesus here affirms tithing. Jesus also affirms what God said in Malachi, that he will take care of our financial needs in proportion to our financial faithfulness to tithing and giving. Look at Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. 
For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do you hear that? With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Some people ask me, should we tithe on the gross or the net? With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Do you want to be blessed on the gross or the net? <laughs> Another question. So if Christians are still expected to tithe 10% of everything they produce. Now listen, guys, this isn't just our paycheck. Whatever, this is stock options. This is dividends. This is our, our, our grandmother or aunt leaves us an inheritance. This is a bonus at work. This is the money you get for your birth. This is all the produce. Everything that we bring in, we should be tithing off of. Say, people say, well, if, if we're still supposed to do this, then why isn't it talked about more in the New Testament? Here's the deal. When you talk to your kids about riding a bike, how, how much time do they spend talking about the training wheels? You like to ride a bike? Yeah, but I remember those training wheels days. <laughs> oh, boy, I miss that. Listen. Tithing is meant to be the training wheels of generosity. Once you learn to ride a bike, you don't need the training wheels any longer. Once a person is giving at least 10%, they've learned the basics. Now they can ride the bike and experience the true joys that come from giving above and beyond the 10%. Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, which is one of the best books on this topic, he says this, for those of you who are thinking... Tithing is the Old Testament concept and it's legalism. He goes, fine, forget about the tithe. Start with 11%. <laughs> Start with 12, 15. Who needs, the, who needs that law anyways? No, no, no. But this is the, here's what's he getting at. We're trying to make excuses for our ungenerous hearts, our greedy hearts. So we're trying to lower God's standard down to something that we hope we can meet, maybe 1%. Shame on us for doing that. People tell me, Justin, I can't afford to tithe. Listen, God said, test him. Test him. God said he would give seed to the sower. If you're, you, if you're living off of 100%, guess what? Obviously, you can't afford not to tithe. You're the one telling me you get to the end of the month and you don't have enough left over. Well, I would look at the scripture and go, well, that's because you've been robbing God. How about we start with honoring God and see if he'll meet our needs and see if he'll provide. Your way obviously isn't working. You can't afford to tithe. I would say, no, you can't afford not to tithe. I've got too much debt, Justin. It would be unwise of me to give. You're right. But your biggest debt is to God. I don't think robbing God to pay the credit card is a wise financial decision. Right? I would say stop robbing God, give to God first, and then talk to a financial counselor, talk to your missional community, talk to someone about figuring out how to pay your other debts after that. 
This is my favorite. Well, I'm 100% on board for this tithing thing, and I plan on tithing as soon as I start making real money. I don't, my definition of real money is the kind that you can spend. It's not like a certain tax bracket once you get there. So people, waiters, waitresses, baristas, you know, all the tips that they, well, that's not real money. When I gave it I, to you, I thought it was real. <laughs> it came out of my bank account, right? Statistics show that this is an absolute lie. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The more people make, the less percentage of what they make do they give away. The more people make, the less generous they become. Now listen, my job as your pastor is to teach you the truth. It's to teach you what scripture says. That's what I'm doing up here. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to gain a crowd. I'm not here to up my influence in any way. I'm here to teach you what God says. That's what I'm trying to do. This tithing is what God expects of his people as we follow him and breathe his air and use his resources. Now, here's, the, here's the, we, what we need to understand. The grace of Jesus that we get from the New Testament specifically or more explicitly in the New Testament never lowers God's standard. It never abandons the standard. Like we don't go back to the Ten Commandments and go, well, yeah, you know, in the Ten Commandments, he says not to steal, but now it's okay to steal from God because of Jesus. Hmm. How, how does that work? Well, yeah, you know, we're supposed to honor our spouse, you know, and not have any, we're not supposed to have any affairs, but now that Jesus, we've got grace, so we can have affairs now. I think that logic is a little off kilter. A little bit. If you think tithing and giving or even giving more than that is kind of like outrageous, then you haven't understood the gospel. Now, let me say one thing. Grace doesn't lower the standard. Grace doesn't throw the standard away. Grace empowers us to obey the standard. That's what grace does. That's what the spirit of the living God does. When he comes into us, he gives us strength for the battle. He enables us to obey the 10 commandments. Not perfectly, of course, but with all our effort and all our might. Tithing isn't something we just throw away. No, no, no. Now, you say, well, Justin, that's ridiculous. 10%. I can't even imagine giving 10%. I've had people say my dad would freak out if he found out he's, we're giving 10%. Listen, if, if, then your dad doesn't understand the gospel. If you don't see tithing as the training wheels of giving, you don't understand the gospel. Listen, all of our money is God's. If you aren't tithing 10% of everything you make back to God, you are robbing him. Pastor Tim Keller said this, 
quote, a failure to use the owner's money as he wishes for his investment is not being miserly. It's being a thief. If there were a divine securities and exchange commission in the sky, you'd be in trouble. And maybe there is, and maybe we are. Listen, more than likely, the reason that you're not giving 10%, honestly, it's not an income problem. It's a heart problem. That means your greatest need isn't more information. Your greatest need isn't a calculator or a spreadsheet. Your greatest need is to spend more time calculating the cross. Spend more time looking at Jesus on the cross. We began this whole series with this scripture, and I want to finish with this scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now this... This is seeing the gospel in economic terms, that Jesus Christ gave up everything. He gave up his relationship with the Father. You know, Jesus was eternally the Son. He never became the Son. He was always the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they always existed together in a perfect community. And Jesus, for our sake, because we were spiritually bankrupt, unable to get right with God in any way, unable to do anything to appease God or cleanse ourselves from our sins, Jesus left heaven. He broke, in one sense, communion with the Father to come live the perfect life that we failed to live on this earth. Jesus obeyed God. God in everything in this life. And then he goes to the cross to pay the debt that we owe. Jesus goes and pays that debt. And when he's in the garden, it seems like the father in that moment, Jesus becomes sin. He becomes our sin. He takes it upon himself. And the father turns his face away and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say like he normally does, Daddy, where are you? Abba, Father, Abba, Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because he's become sin in the moment. He's become us, thieves, robbers, the ones who love to take from God and we don't want to give up. Jesus becomes us, our greedy little heart, and God turns his face away from it and it pleases God to crush Jesus. Why? He crushed Jesus so he could save us. He bankrupted heaven so he could bring us in. That is an unwise financial decision on God's part. Thank God for it. Thank God for grace. And then Jesus Christ is resurrected to new life. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's over all things, everything, every square inch of creation. Jesus Christ says, mine and Christians testify to the fact that we believe it by every bit we get back. We say, this is all yours, 10%, 15%, 20%, whatever you want, I'll give it to you, Lord. Why? Because this is a financial good deal. Right? Free salvation didn't cost us nothing. Cost Jesus everything on the cross, cost us nothing. And now to breathe his air, 
to be his children, to be in his family, to be his worshiping community. He asks for a little bit back. Whatever you want, Lord. That's the only response logically from a Christian who understands the gospel. There is no other response. There is no other response. Every other response, well, I don't know, what about 2%? What about 3 What about 5 Ah, student loans. No, 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 no. There's only one response. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. It's all yours. And that's exactly what we remember in the Lord's Supper. Every single week we come and we say, Father, I, I don't deserve to take this bread. I don't deserve to take this cup. I'm invited by you because I stand now because I, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus' perfect standard, his perfect life got credited to me. And now you look at me as righteous in Christ, not based on anything I've ever done, but because of the work of Christ. And so I'm bringing these greedy little hands that are stained with sin. Like I've stolen from you. I've spent decades stealing from you. And now I come and you, by grace, put your body and your blood in my hands again. Oh God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's the response that we should have this morning. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear, giving money to him, that's not what he's asking. He wants you to give your life to him. Give your heart to him. And that's in a response to Christ already giving his life, already giving his blood in full for you. So if, you're, if you have not been baptized, don't take the supper this morning. Take Christ by faith. Put your trust in him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that cuts through all the garbage that we hear, all the excuses that we make. Um, we just, we really want to justify ourselves, Father. We don't want to feel guilty. We don't want to feel like we're in debt to you. We don't want to feel like we've failed you. And so we're afraid to look at our sin uncovered. We're afraid to actually get through our excuses and all the diversions that we have to block your word from piercing our heart, that we don't have enough or that we've got too much debt or that was an old test. All of these things are diversions. And Father, would you uncover them? Would you expose us? We, many of us, we've just, we haven't even put the training wheels on the bike yet. But you forgive us for our lack of faith in you. But you remind us once again of Christ's perfect sacrifice in our place on the cross for our sins. And would you now, through your spirit and by your grace, would you enable us to make hard decisions and put you first at the beginning of the month. Even right now, we, we go home and we make it automatic and we say, we're going to put God first no matter what. And we're going to test him in this. Would you enable your people to trust you like that? For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.